Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Well, the weekend's over and there's a bit of recovering to do. Yeah, there is. I find uh, <laughs> com- the the wintertime bug got me uh, the past couple yeah, of days. Yeah, so yeah. You haven't been cold. feeling well. No. Sorry to hear that. That's okay. I tried to party it away this Saturday night at our show. <laughs> and that's another aspect of the recovery is uh, yes, extending a lot of energy, um, letting her rip, if it <laughs> as it were. <laughs> and we had a really fun time playing in Racine at the Route Twenty venue. Yeah, the Route 20 Outhouse. Yes, opening for the well-known strangers who are releasing a new CD. And that was a a really good time. Had an awesome crowd that was very positive and very uh, receptive (laughs) of our show. Yeah, we really lit up Racine that night. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And then the next day, our favorite team, the Green Bay Packers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And one of the very rare few occasions you'll hear us talk about sports ball. Right. Well, they didn't do so hot, so... We won't, no, we won't go any further into that, but... The Packers did not win the <laughs> NFC Championship that we were expecting, and um, I know what, the, what, what happened. What happened? Well, the thing is, is that um, every time that we've dressed my daughter up in a Packers onesie, they've yeah. lost. Oh, it's your so fault. So when we got home from the show yesterday... My wife had our daughter in the Packers onesie, and I almost said, "No, change!" I changed it. At, I changed it at halftime, but it wasn't soon enough. Oh. So I apologize that we are not. But I tell you what, I would love to do a show sometime on uh, sports superstitions, and you know, because from rally caps to I mean, people wear the same pair of underwear. It's the same. Oh my thing. gosh, like, crazy stuff! Football players have the same jock on. Yeah. <laughs> so I think yeah, that'd be fun but- to go into like sports voodoo. That would, that would. But one fun thing from the weekend was uh, we got to see your sister, Allison. Yes, we did get to spend our time favorite co host, Allison from Milwaukee Girls. Yeah, she came to the show. And so she was there and she did a really good job. She participated in the collaborative coloring book page that we have out on a merch stand. So thanks yeah. for doing that, Allison. And not only did we get to see it this weekend, but last week we recorded a special topic with her. And it's a topic that she knows a lot about. <laughs> right. We were talking about uh, the exorcist because William Peter Blatty passed away. And, and a couple of days after he passed away, then we went in and we recorded a whole episode remembering the exorcist, remembering some of his best work and connecting it to the real life cases that he researched that became the novel. Yes. So, well, what do you say we listen to that conversation right now? I'd love to hear myself again. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Another victim of Friday the 13th, guys. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. No. The, the author of The Exorcist himself, William Peter Blatty, affectionately known to his friends as the Blatty Blatster. <laughs> oh. or, or to me, I just made that up, actually. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody called him the Blatty Blatster. Um, but this was a, cu- a, a cute kind of... A cute kind of nickname for him. Anyway, Friday the 13th, they don't have the reports yet on whether it was Jason Voorhees that hunted him down and killed him uh, at Camp Crystal Lake. 
Uh, but no, he, he passed away. And, uh, the news came out on Friday the 13th. William Peter Blatty, the author of The Exorcist, and Killer Kane come out and play, and um, a whole bunch of other uh, paranormal books. And I didn't know this for some reason. He's the guy that wrote A Shot in the Dark, the, the second Pink Panther movie. No, I did not know that. So I did not. You know, when you think about the Pink Panther, um, you're like, well, that's just kind of crazy, wacky, Peter Sellers-ish comedy. But you, you do not associate the Pink Panther with the author of The Exorcist. No, no, not at all. Well, yeah, you know, no. uh, um, he had a good run. You know, William Peter Blatty, the Blatty yeah, Blaster. <laughs> the Blatty Blaster made it to 89. 89. That's good. I mean, a lot of these people oh. we've been talking about recently have been taken away, you know, way right. too early. Um, and, uh, but 89, you know, we should all be so lucky. Yeah, we should all be so lucky. Yeah. So we're, we're here to celebrate uh, his work today, specifically The Exorcist. Yeah, we got to talk about The Exorcist. I mean, because, I mean, not only is it relevant to now, because there was a new Exorcist show that yep, came out in 2000. and I watched every episode. How about you, Mike? <laughs> oh, I didn't miss it. Did you like it? Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was really well done, too. Yeah, and it was, it's set in Chicago, and it really uses the Chicago locations. Like, you can tell they shot it there and stuff like that. Like, That's cool. And some really hot priests, let's just say that. <laughs> oh, yeah, the younger guy. Well, <laughs> thank you, Hollywood. Right. The, the priests are pretty studly. The younger, the Hispanic guy is, is pretty studly. And then the, the English guy, too, is, you know, for chicks that like more mature gentlemen. They're both awesome. Let's just say that. He fits the bill. I haven't seen it yet, so is it the same story as the movie? Kind of. I mean, um, we, you know, we don't want to spoil it, but it follows on okay, from that. Fair. It follows yes. on from that. Let's just say that. I see. Okay. You know, like we talked about in our uh, episode way back when about Carl Siege and the four signs of possession, um, um, possessions, let's say, never, you know, even if you get exercised, they never really fully go away. So that was kind (sighs) of an interesting, uh, authentic touch, I I would think, you know, that the, the demon that had you once is still lingering around trying to get you back again. Right. And also, I mean, it takes on from the exorcist Two. if you guys have seen the exorcist Two, the heretic, oh, I did not see that. Up. Well, it didn't really, I mean, it just, that is a continuation of the story with Richard Burton and he, Richard Burton does his best to bring some, uh, you know, some gravitas to the proceedings, but the exorcist <laughs> Two is so ridiculous that it, it, it doesn't bring anything to the proceedings. William Peter Blatty had nothing to do with The Exorcist too, so we don't have to talk about that movie. Good. He also didn't have anything to do with the new TV series, but since it's recent, we can talk about it. And um, I think he would have liked the new TV series. And yeah. I think also that um, it was interesting that he kind of expanded the world to make it more, you know, demonic forces, Satan worshippers, good guys, bad guys. Yeah, and, and it made it like, hey, this isn't just an isolated incident where some kid's getting possessed. You know, there's a whole network of Satanists trying to ah. trying to overturn our world. That's fairly terrifying. It's like the Satanic Panic was real, right? Also, the guy that plays the Pope in The Exorcist uh, to uh, actually to connect it to the last episode, Monster Trek. We talked a lot about Harry and the Hendersons and the TV show Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> anyway, the guy that plays the Pope in The Exorcist is the guy that played the dad in the Harry and the Hendersons TV show, Bruce Davison. And I was like him as an actor, so I don't even think. He, well, well, 
we're not going to spoil it. The Exorcist is worth watching. It's 10 episodes of pretty scary TV, especially for network TV. I think it's the scariest network TV show I've seen since The X-Files. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's a real okay. bloodbath, too. Yeah. So uh, I should watch it right before I go to bed is what you're saying. <laughs> you should. <laughs> yes, well, on doing a dark it. and stormy night, preferably. Well, I didn't know. I didn't watch Hannibal, and I knew Hannibal had some real gory stuff, and so I've been waiting to dig into Hannibal. <laughs> I've been waiting to, <laughs> to carve into Hannibal. Oh. And so, but people were saying like that it was, uh, like Hannibal stretched what you could show on a major network. The Exorcist oh, wow. was doing the same kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to checking that out um, in Hannibal. But you should definitely check out the TV show if you enjoyed the original movie. But we should talk about a little bit, I mean, William Peter Blatty grew up in New York City. You know, he talks about his childhood. His mother would just sell like little jars of jelly that she made herself. And that's how they survived. Like the, the wow. father left. The father oh, left man. when he was five years old. And his mother got by on just selling little jars of jelly that she made herself, which I admire. I mean, as a, that's DIY. You yeah, can get, get by on jelly sales. <laughs> you could. I was going to say, that must and, be a lot of jelly and, because... And wh- where did you see... The profit say, margin yeah. can't be that high on that. Right. Um, <laughs> that where was did, Wikipedia. Where did you say he grew up? He grew up in New York City. NYC. So you can get by selling jelly in NYC. No, I don't think... can come true, everyone. You can move to the think, big city. <laughs> right. I don't think it was $2,500 for a studio apartment in New York City in the 1930s. When William Peter Blatty was growing up. Still, but, jelly sales, that's, you know. <laughs> yeah. This is a funny story. He said that she once offered a jar to Franklin D. Roosevelt when the president was cutting the ribbon no for the Queen's Midtown Tunnel. And she told him, for when you have company. Aw. <laughs> okay. And so, um, and they, he lived at 28 different addresses during his childhood because of constant evictions by landlord for non-payment oh, okay. of rent. That makes sense. Wow. So That, yeah, that reminds me of... Uh, Harry Houdini was really poor and living in Milwaukee when he was a teenager. And uh, yeah, they had a lot of different addresses in Milwaukee, probably for the same reason. And the funny thing is, so the kind of jelly she sold was quince jelly. Wow. And do you guys know, what, you guys know what quince is? Yeah, no. I've had quince, but you know, I didn't know, like where do you even, I mean, you usually Please can't elaborate. even get it. <laughs> right. and, you just go to and, Safeway and get a quince. And, and, and in 1930, we're, were there like quince trees growing everywhere? I mean, what, what is quince for the, for the uninitiated? Okay, so quince is a fruit related to apples and pears. It is quite tart and cannot be eaten raw. The jelly is the way to make use of it. So, okay, I so nobody so- else wants the fruit, so you just use it for jelly and then you profit. Right, and you sell it to the president <laughs> of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> and maybe that's why it was so popular. They were like, is that I, quince? I've been looking I, for quince I, for some time now. <laughs> I think that's what that's what inspired Franklin Delano Roosevelt to start the Works Proge- Progress Administration because he tried the jelly and he's like, oh, what is this crap? Someone get this woman a job. <laughs> and that's how it all started. The New Deal. So William Peter Blatty, the Blatty Blaster's mother, is responsible for the New Deal. You heard it here today. You heard it here. But I feel like I have learned something already because I've never heard of Quince before. No, I haven't either. It actually sounds like something that would be at one of those gourmet, uh, hipster, foodie kind of places nowadays. Totally. Yeah. So now you could probably get by selling quince jelly because you'd sell it for $50 a jar. Yeah. <laughs> to some, exactly. Right. To some jackass that like, uh, uh, that like creates, his, makes his own jeans and has a beard down to his knees. 
Um, <laughs> well, maybe we could sell them at. We, sh- we could add it to our merchandise stand. No, but that'd be fantastic. Okay, that's just an idea for next time. But Blatty Blasters Quince Jelly, you can get at the next Sunspot show. <laughs> and we'll have it available online pretty soon. Okay, anyway, well, you know, just trying to be creative here. But there is serious research behind this podcast, guys. So stay with us. Stay with us. Okay. We're get the, into that in just a moment. The thing is, is that uh, so William Peter Blatty, he attends Brooklyn Prep at Jesuit school. His mother is very Catholic, very religious. Um, he actually, when he attended Brooklyn Prep, Joe Paterno was the football team's quarterback. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, from Joe Paterno, who was the big, big head honcho of the football thing at Penn State. But then he right. uh, the, the, he re- retired in disgrace after he found out that he knew that he was letting one of his guys um, diddle the boys. And then he eventually has, enters the Air Force. He's in the, the U.S. Air Force Psychological Warfare Division. Ooh, Propaganda. Psy- yeah. Psyops. That's interesting. And uh, then he comes out and he... Starts working in public relations and things like that, and he's trying to make a living as a writer. So William Peter Blatter, 1950s, he's he's writing, publishing, but it's not going very well. He's not selling a ton of books. You know, he's got a he's got to work for the man. He's working for the man every night and day, and then he goes on "You Bet Your Life," a quiz show, <laughs> and he wins ten thousand dollars. So he goes what on the? with Groucho Marx. He goes on, you bet your life. Because he's living in Los Angeles. He's working for okay. uh, Loyola University of Los Angeles. And he goes on the game show, wins $10,000, quits his job, and then just writes full time after that. That's awesome. That's crazy. And it also goes to show that, you know, because I always say like when people win a lot of money or whatever, their life goes to hell. Well, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. William I mean, Peter- not that $10,000 is exactly... Well, maybe he supplemented it with quince jelly. <laughs> right. That's true. He, you know, we're missing opportunities here. Right. They didn't talk about the quince orchard he had in his home. <laughs> no, but the thing is, so, uh, so William Peter Blatty, uh, that, that enables him to be a full-time author, is that he, he wins that money and you bet your life. So that's like a blessed kind of thing when you think about that. And that's a cool story. It's like yeah. how, you know, what was, some people get a loan, some people get, you know, get a help up. His, his help in life came from Groucho Marx. So I think that's pretty fun. And then he starts writing different comedy scripts in the 1960s. And then eventually uh, he writes The Exorcist. And that comes out in 1971. His novel, The Exorcist, a story about a 12-year-old girl being possessed by a powerful demon. And uh, when it turns into a movie, that movie obviously becomes a cultural phenomenon that we're still, that's still everybody's idea of The Exorcist. You know, when do you, when do you guys remember seeing the movie for the first time? Hmm. I don't think I actually saw it until college. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> it was one of those... I don't know. Just never, it never, like nobody had like a family party and like, you know, we should watch The Exorcist. Well, well, Mike, when, when did we see it? I mean, I know I, I've seen it later in life, but. I saw it on TV when I was like eight. Yeah. Did we watch it with Bob and Judy? Probably. Or, or mom was doing something and dad was kind of just watching it with us and then mother would come in the room and be like, oh my God, she's barfing <laughs> pea soup, Bob, turn it off. <laughs> He's like, what? It's okay. But you know they had the book. They had the book downstairs. Yes, yes. So we did have mm-hmm. the access book at home. So somebody was reading it in our house. 
That's right. <laughs> and, and it wasn't either of you. No. It wasn't either of me, so we didn't pick yeah. it up. So, so and I remember reading bits and pieces of it as a little kid and not, it, and not quite getting all of it until I was older. So that, that I remember seeing it when I was eight years old. And it was pretty scary then. Yeah. But I think the thing to me is that because even though we grew up Catholic, it, it never felt very religious. Like, I, we were never super religious. And so, you know, you hear those stories. And I think a lot of what made such a cultural phenomenon is that so many people who are religious, this is within the framework of religion. You know, this is, and if you are Catholic, this, is, this, is, this goes by the Catholic rule book. You know what I mean? And William Peter Blatty was a religious guy, and he also did a ton of research into real exorcisms when he was working on that book. That's right. And Allison, you've done research into a couple of those yourself. And so can you give some some background? Yeah, the most famous is um, the 1949 Robbie Doe case. Since then, uh, a lot has come out, and uh, on, on the web now you can find... Um, what is purported to be the real name of this teenage boy who was said to be possessed by the devil. And uh, it said that his real name, and he's still alive, is Ronald Edwin um, Hunkler. I can't even say that. (laughs) Oh, Ronald Edwin Hunkler. We'll we'll just call him Robbie. Yeah. Yeah, hunka hunka burning possession. So (laughs) that's right. So Ronald Edwin Hunkler was this kid, and there's various reports. Was he in Mount Rainier? Was he in Cottage City, Maryland? I think Cottage City, Maryland um, was the the initial place where he presented with symptoms of uh, possession. Uh, but doesn't but everybody he, say, everybody says like a, a possession from St. Louis, though? Yes. Well, that's where he was exercised. So, I see. Um, so the, the family tried a um, few different ways to figure out what was going on and couldn't get any relief for him. And uh, then decided, well, we're, we're going to take him to St. Louis to the Alexian brothers hospital, which is a Catholic organization and get him exercised there. And so that's when uh, the real right of exorcism happened or the, I shouldn't say the real right of exorcism, you know, other things were tried on him previous to that, but I should say the Catholic uh, right, the the Roman ritual was performed at the Alexian Brothers Hospital in 1949 in St. Louis. And there's a great book written by our friend Troy Taylor called um, The Devil Came to St. Louis, The True Story of the 1949 Exorcism, which I would recommend. There's a lot of good research in there. Um, but essentially, what it amounts to is, we'll call him Little Robbie. So Little Robbie had had this aunt that he was friendly with, and, you know, he was very fond of her. She was very fond of him. And, and uh, you know, when she came over to the house, you know, they'd hang out. And one time she showed him a Ouija board. And apparently Ooh. they started playing the Ouija board. Um, oh, dear. And then she died. And then he well, wanted see, to kids, contact. That's why you don't play with the Ouija yeah, board. Yeah, yeah. So the that's, same. that's one of these stories of uh, that people always bring up regarding the, the Ouija board and how it can... It can, wow. you know, channel hell directly into your soul. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm not saying I believe that, but this this is the the premise, <laughs> right? Right. Anyway, so um, then little Robbie he starts playing with the Ouija board in an attempt to contact her after her death, and so that's that's thought to be the mode of transmission. And um, I think 
I think that's what happened in the movie too, isn't it? Is well, there? in the movie, there wasn't like a favorite aunt or anything like that. No, but the, there was a Ouija board, wasn't there? Yeah, there? Oh yeah, there was. A, she's playing with the Ouija board in the basement, and she's playing alone. All and right. then she talks to the spirit <gasps> named Captain Howdy. <laughs> and so she talks to Captain. Sounds Howdy. so fun. I know. Yeah, okay. hey. so that's how they get you. And Captain Howdy is the person she's talking to, and that's uh, the demon that ends up getting into her and gets into her through the Ouija board that she plays alone. Uh, in the basement because the premise of the exorcist if you guys haven't seen the movie in a while or if you haven't read the book the premise is is that you have an actress uh, a famous actress and she's in georgetown shooting a movie georgetown in in washington dc she's in georgetown shooting a movie and they like rent a house in georgetown and that's where the all the action takes place and so oh reagan reagan is reagan mcneil is the name of her daughter Reagan is, she finds a Ouija board in the basement, and that's where she meets Captain Howdy, through the Ouija board. And, you know, Twisted Sister, on their classic album, Stay Hungry, they have a song called Captain Howdy. Nice. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. Uh, Further evidence of how evil they truly are. Right, <laughs> how evil Twisted Sister is. That's right. And they, wear, and they dress up like girls, everybody. What? <laughs> it's shocking. <laughs> Evil. No, but Twisted so, Sister, so, so the, their song Stay Away From, Stay Away From Captain Howdy is a, 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 oh. a classic. D. Snyder eventually ended up, he uh, did a horror movie himself in the late 90s called Strangeland. Mm. So they were actually advising us against Captain Howdy. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. And like <laughs> the Twisted Sister song Burn in Hell yeah. from, uh, that's used in Pee Wee's Big Adventure to such great effect. Um, <laughs> their song Burn in Hell. I don't recall. It, is all about uh, it's all about turning turning around your life, or you're going to burn in hell. Oh wow! So, so that, kind of like Striper. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say that D. Snyder isn't. He didn't play Christian rock, but uh, he's <laughs> he's a Christian guy, and that actually went for. So to think that people would be like, oh yeah, Twisted Sister, uh, they're really trying to corrupt our youth. Um, you just got to realize how stupid people are because they don't even listen to the words they, right. or anything they're saying. But, but anyway, they're still not going to take it. So I just wanted to get into that. It is the Ouija board, which is what infects Reagan. in the first, And I think that's what scared everybody about Ouija boards. Because they're like, well, in The Exorcist, the girl gets possessed by using it. Um, right. I think that had a huge effect on the culture. And we still see it today, like on Reddit, when people talk about using the Ouija board. And some jerks like, oh, you touched the Ouija board. That means Satan is in you. Right. You know, that turns these teenagers start freaking out because they're like, well, you know, when you're a teen, you don't know nothing. Well, what's interesting Am, am I right is, here, guys, or am I right? Yeah, 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 you're right. <laughs> no doubt. But um, I just want to point out that, you know, in that earlier show that we did on the four signs of possession, another startling thing that, that came to me in my exorcism research is that in a lot of these cases— you don't see that somebody actually made a choice to let the devil in. Whereas there's been this conceit that, oh, you know, you're safe if you stay away from tarot cards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> which I haven't done. Um, and you haven't played the Ouija board. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, there's one right up above my head in the office here. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, but, Just like you know, most offices. Yeah, if you, <laughs> yeah every office a has a Ouija board, doesn't it? So if you stay away from those things and you don't welcome Satan in, you're fine. But 
what we we found in our research is is that's not true. I mean, people in the local exorcism cases that I found were possessed because somebody hexed them. You know, they they picked up a hexed object and they didn't know it was hexed. And, you know, that ruined their whole life, essentially. Um, Another person was infected, and and we'll, we'll talk about her shortly, by some bewitched herbs that were fed to her. Ooh. Uh, so yeah, so you could be bewitched and you know, yeah, you had no choice in the matter. So even if you follow all the rules and you're good and you avoid the Ouija board and you don't touch the tarot cards yeah. and you stay home, you don't go out after dark, you could still be a victim. That's right. Yeah. That's the thing about Satan. Oh, like he, he just doesn't res- like, he just doesn't respect the rules as much as you think he, <laughs> he doesn't he know his boundaries. Because the other thing too is like a little girl doesn't know anything about the Ouija board. Like let's, I mean, the the yes yes board. Even though I thought Robert Damon Schneck had an interesting uh, perspective on why the Ouija board is named that, and you you can find that in othersidepodcast.com slash one twenty seven. So the the thing is, is that they don't know anything about that. You're a little kid. You're playing a game, and to say that, like, well. These little kids didn't know, and ignorance is no, you right. know, ign- ignorance is no excuse. And now we're going to possess you. We're going to turn your head around, and we're going to make you spit green stuff. Uh, <laughs> that just—he just doesn't have respect for people like that, and so that's why I'm not down with the devil. No, I know, I know. It seems like I'd be the first guy who's like devil, yeah. But come on, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think you so, got, Mike. You got to give kids a break. That's what I'm that's, saying. That's right. So let's talk a little bit more about these influences. So uh, 1949, the Robbie Doe case, where did William Peter Blatty hear about it? Well, apparently there were newspaper articles, but, but also um, there was a, a Jesuit who was present at one of the exorcism sessions, and uh, he was actually from Milwaukee. He was uh, Father Charles O'Hara of Marquette University. And that's that's not the only Marquette University professor who was involved either. We'll talk about that in a moment. But anyway, this Father O'Hara apparently witnessed some dramatic events, and he told them to uh, a Father Gallagher, who then was teaching a class at Georgetown University in Washington about exorcisms. That's Father Gallagher that did the watermelon smashing, right? <laughs> yeah, the very same. Uh, <laughs> little known, you know, that was part of the little ministry, known Father really. Gallagher. Bringing yes. people in with the watermelon smashing. But anyway, We're so this, poncho. this Father Eugene Gallagher of York, uh, Georgetown University in Washington, he was teaching this class on exorcisms. And one of the students in his class was the Blatty Blaster, William Peter Blatty. Yeah, William Peter Blatty Blaster. <laughs> so this may have been one of the ways that he found out about this story where, um, okay, so now, so Robbie is having it out with the priest. Well, not Robbie, but whatever's inside him. Beelzebub, probably. Anyway. Yeah, that's it. It's <laughs> Beelzebub makes, makes a lot of appearances. He's, he's like a possession rock star. Anyway. So what Father O'Hara witnessed is Robbie going after one of the priests and grabs the Roman ritual book. And as soon as he touches the book, it dissolves. It, it doesn't rip. It dissolves into confetti that falls to the floor. That's crazy. And that is cool. Yeah, it's like vaporized. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that really proved to Father O'Hara that this was true. 
because there are people who feel that you know the Robbie Doe possession was was just a hoax. That here's this kid, he's just trying to get some attention, having some fun, and then it goes too far. He doesn't know where to stop it, as you know, as a lot of kids don't. And then it just keeps snowballing, and before you know it, you're getting exercised. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's what most people think about just about demonic possession in general. Like, I, I feel right. like the, we've come full circle to where people now, you know, you'd say in the 80s and stuff when we were growing up, you know, you just didn't believe in demonic. Even we saw, we saw the exorcist, but even priests and stuff like that didn't really have, they weren't like, oh, yeah, demonic possession. Like, we, I remember I asked Father Bob about it, our priest at St. Joseph's Church in, in, in Big Bend, Wisconsin. Yeah, a and Catholic like, church. And he's just like, well, that's, uh, that's, that's mental illness. And, you know, we don't really, people don't get possessed. The, the devil is not, the, the devil is in temptation. The devil is in bad judgment. The devil is in addiction. The right, devil he's is not, not a personified character. Yeah. The devil's not like sneaking into your ear, like taking you over and then making you. So essentially it was downplayed for, you know, like the 70s, the 80s, up until recent times. And now, now it's really changed. Well, because it makes the church look like Scientology. Everybody are like, we make, oh, that's too extreme. We joke about Scientology and Xenu and the, the volcanoes and stuff like that, but Xenu and all of his alien craziness is just as, uh, it's just as crazy to talk about demons trying to sneak into your, like hovering over your body and you play with this Milton Bradley game and you're going to be possessed and uh, you're going to, you know, sit on a crucifix and you're going to do all this stuff. And Well, it sounds crazy when you're steeped in materialism. You know, when you're steeped in the dominant worldview as, as we have, have been that, that uh, excludes anything that you can't see or is not easily repeatable. We can't really say that there aren't things beyond our senses. Uh, that but it's a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing we're steeped in materialism somewhat, because if you believe too much in the invisible world, like cotton mather, then you're putting people to death. <laughs> well, right. I mean, there's there's a there's a spectrum, and and yeah. there's judgment that that has to be employed. But to say that there's nothing to this spiritual stuff, you know, and okay. oh no, of course, let, of course, let, I believe there's something to it. Yeah. Let me let me just say that I've done a lot of research on exorcisms. And uh, for me, you know, I don't know if if there's truth to it. I mean, I think there's something going on there. I'm not sure what it is. Is it the devil? Uh, is it Beelzebub? That I don't know. Something's going on, and we need to take a look at it. That's all I'm saying. Because in my own faith, you know, I much prefer thinking like the Yazidi do that the or the Yazidi that the devil has been reconciled, and that's way sure. back. <laughs> can link to that podcast (laughs) too but i don't know you know as far as thinking there's demons that actually possess us i I think the jury's still out but we got to look closely at the witness testimony well father o'hara believed i mean he 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 saw a book dissolve and he saw some levitation didn't he um well uh i think he may have but there was another guy who saw levitation and that was um walter halloran father walter halloran who was also a professor at uh, Marquette University from 1963 to 1966. And um, he is actually buried here in town in, in Milwaukee in Calvary Cemetery. And I can send you that picture. But he was um, one of the last living witnesses to the Robbie Doe exorcism. 
And he may have seen some unusual things like levitation. The reason I say he may have is because he would say things and then he would pull back. And, you know, he was kind of wishy-washy about his experience. And, you know, that may be because maybe he was naive about what it is to to be besieged by the press. And then, uh, you know, people keep coming at him and either he's making stuff up to please them or he's going the other way and is just like has had enough of it and is like, no, 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 there was nothing extraordinary. Um, so there are people that I know that, that knew uh, Father Walter Halloran in life and say, no, no, he was affected by what happened and say that he participated in even more exorcisms than uh, the 1949 case, that he, he was pretty actively involved in it in the 60s. So, I mean... Well, in the 60s, do, they were just exercising hippies. <laughs> well, right. Um, right. But uh, do... Do I have any evidence for that? No, but have people who feel that uh, that their their personal experience bears that out. Anyway, so there is somebody else who just died in 2014 who was a retired Catholic monk. He reported that he worked at the Alexian Brothers Hospital in 1949 during the time when, when Robbie Doe was there getting exercised. And uh, his name is Gregory Francis Holwinski. And he was actually uncovered by Troy Taylor and interviewed on the Discovery Channel's Unexplained Files at the Alexian Brothers' home, which is a retirement community, assisted living for priests and other people involved in the Catholic Church. And actually, Brother Gregory was dying of cancer during the time of the interview. So it's not like he was really looking for financial compensation or anything like that. You know, he he died soon after the interview, in fact. Well, didn't they used to use deathbed confessions? As, like, deathbed confessions had more of a impact in decision-making and judicial decision-making and stuff like that than, yeah. than other ones. So, I mean, obviously they don't do that today because that's legally, you know, it's pretty silly. But the idea that when someone is on their deathbed and someone is going to die soon they're more likely to tell the truth than at other points in their life. So I just think it's, you know, we talk about that. We still have that thing in our head. Well, he admitted it on his deathbed, and that's the one time in your life you're never going to lie. Well, certainly there's gravitas there. And his family actually reached out. That's how he was found, that that he wanted wanted to um, get his testimony out there because he wanted people to know that the devil is real, uh, the devil's a threat, and that we shouldn't, we shouldn't in our materialist world, you know, keep discounting that because um, that gives the devil an advantage. So that that was his motive or or the motive that that he um, he adhered to publicly. It's just like the and, end of the usual suspects. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't don't actually remember that Kaiser okay, Soze. That's all I remember. All right, then all you remember is Kaiser Soze. Then I'm not even going to talk about it. And a few people out there who are listening have not seen the Usual Suspects yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. So don't it's spoil a, it. <laughs> it's on Netflix, so you can watch it today. Such it, a good movie. Right, and the thing is, since it is like a 21 year old movie now. <laughs> no spoilers, Mike. Still. Like that's what. The, but that's what's funny though. When I think about it, I'm like, oh, like, oh no, you find it in the new releases section of your blockbuster. Up. Uh, no, you'll find it in, in old crap on Netflix. Right. We got we got to save it for the young ones coming up. Yeah. So anyway, um, he, Brother Gregory, he reported to Troy that he came into the room and 
saw Robbie there and saw Robbie actually, this is, I like this because this is somebody else reporting something similar to what Father O'Hara said. So he came into the room and he saw the priest approached, one of the priests approached Robbie and Robbie pulled on his stole, which was the, the, the ceremonial cloth that he, you know, the sacred stole uh, ceremonial cloth that he wear, wears around his neck. It's like a scarf, and, it's like a priestly scarf. Yeah, right. Um, but it's spo- <laughs> supposed ascot. to connote, um, you know, the priestly authority. Sure. So it's part of the ritual of getting prepared for the exorcism. It's a and magic scarf. So what does Robbie do, of course? He pulls it off of the priest. And what does Brother Gregory report? He reports that, again, it dissolved. It didn't, Whoa. like, rip, but he said that he saw this stole just essentially evaporate and come down like confetti. You know, the, the description is so consistent with Father O'Hara and what Father O'Hara saw with the Roman ritual book that that makes it interesting to me. It just makes me laugh because it's, it's like like confetti, like the devil's having a party with their stuff. It's like, give me that magic, <laughs> give me right. that magic scarf. I'm going to turn it to confetti. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, and the other thing he reportedly saw was some levitation of the bed that Robbie was in, I believe. So That was just a David Blaine trick. David Blaine was the one who possessed him. When we talk about proofs of possession, I mean, we talked about the four signs of possession. And, you know, seeing something like that, although it's not exactly on the list, I mean, that's what they're looking for in those four signs is... Something inexplicable, something that you yeah. couldn't fake. That's Dissolving holy for. objects is one of the signs of possession, I think. <laughs> well, well, no. What were the four signs? The four signs were speaking unknown languages, strength beyond your means. Um, let's see. Oh, knowing the unknowable. Mm-hmm. And I'm always going to forget the fourth one. <laughs> uh, oh, I think the- aversion, aversion to holy objects. So I guess. That might fall under the aversion to holy objects, but I mean, mm-hmm. he was doing more than than uh, being a- adverse to them. He was dissolving them. Right. So that's a cool thing. It's always cool to get more information on this. The 1949 exorcism that Robbie Hunkler, or you know, the Hunk, oh, yeah, Hunk, Robbie, Hunk, Doe, Robbie Hunkler. <laughs> Robbie Doe is what what uh, he's typically the pseudonym he's typically given. But but yeah, it's a uh, Ronald Edwin. Hunkler. The reason I like talking about it is because there's so much crap. Like there's so many there's so many TV shows that have done like the real story behind the Exorcist, and I feel like most of those get them wrong. Like yeah, most well, of it, they play loose with the facts. Yeah, there's a lot of um a lot of details in the case. There's actually a great article you can find online now, which we should link to in the show notes, which was done by uh, Mark Openset. Uh, how do you say his name? <laughs> I can't even I do it. Know. Um, the guy from Strange Magazine, Mark. Mark Open snot. I can't even do it now. I'm sorry, guys. Snot's on the brain. Um, so sorry. we'll link to it in the show notes anyway. I think it's Mark Opensack is how you say it. He did a great research article on the real story behind The Exorcist and, you know, really did the legwork. Uh, it was called the, the Haunted Boy of Cottage City and um, some really, really great stuff in there. And so if I got any of the details wrong... You can get some good details in here, but get the right um, ones at that one. But that wasn't the only yeah. possession that influenced the Exorcist, though. Like the the thing is, that's the most famous one because that's the one yes. that kind of Hollywood is glommed onto. Yes. But, um, 
What are some of the other influences that William Peter Blatty Blatty Blaster had <laughs> when he was okay. writing The Exorcist? Well, okay. So this was really exciting this summer when I found out about the 1928 Earling Possession. And Earling is in Iowa, and that's where the exorcism took place at a nunnery there. But the most fascinating thing to me were, again, the local connections in this case. So uh, the exorcist was Father Theophilus Riesinger, who was from the Appleton Marathon area. And he, in his uh, time as an exorcist, performed many, many exorcisms. He's like the exorcism hero. Like, number one, he's got the name, Theophilus Riesinger. Like, he just walks in. Like, you can imagine he gets his own uh, action figure, or he is the... um, he is the main character in some X. You know, everybody's like, "Come on, Theophilus, let's go!" You know, I just, <laughs> right. just wanted Absolutely. like Theophilus Riesinger, and I, I just imagine <laughs> what he's wearing and stuff, and his boots, and like his wide-brimmed hat. Okay, well, I'm gonna send you some articles, Mike. I mean, because he is a cool-looking dude. He, you yeah. know, he's got his brown robe on, the big crucifix hanging around his neck. He, he's like really got the Santa Claus beard. And he was tall, too. He's like a big guy, six foot. Well, now you make him sound like Rasputin. Kind of Rasputin-y, <laughs> He's yes. got a robe. He's got this huge beard. Right, right. He and was like, kind he, of Rasputin-y. That's and not, he had a crucifix um, that he had a crucifix that could turn into a sword, right? Like he would pull it out, like the crucifix <laughs> I think a sword. Maybe. Well, he, well he, was, he was, yeah, a, a spiritual warrior, definitely, and uh, performed many, many exorcisms And by 1939, there was actually a Time Magazine article about him, which said that he performed um, by 1930, I'm sorry, I think I said 39, 1936, um, at least 20 successful, not exorcisms, but he, he, um, he exercised 20 people, I should say, successfully by, by 1936. So, I mean, that's pretty dramatic. That's a Uh, lot. And he was in Time Magazine. Time like it's magazine. one thing to be like in the local Appleton Gazette right, or whatever kind of thing they'd have in the Fox Valley in the 1920s, probably written on papyrus. And, and uh, he was called a warrior knight by his colleagues. So, you know what you said about the crucifix turning into a sword? Not far off. <laughs> it's really easy to imagine. <laughs> right. That. And he also knew Kung Fu. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. I'm totally getting a new appreciation. But Theophilus, I mean... Is Theophilus like a Greek name? Is that a ma- is that a stage name? Like, where do you get a name like Theophilus? When your mother's like, well, I think he's going to grow up and be a really kick-butt priest, so I want to name him Theophilus. Like, wh- where do you get a name? Like, what nationality is that? I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I think uh Devil Smashistan. Yeah, Theo <laughs> means God, right? And Phil. Okay. I, I think it's Greek. Is it Greek? I'm pretty sure. Ophilus sounds pretty Greek to me. The, the name itself. He wasn't uh, Greek. He was actually, I believe, from Germany. But, you know, the name itself, I think it's Greek, not Latin. Theo means God and Phyllis means love. So it's like love of God as his oh, yeah. first name. So he, yeah. he, he, love of God's going to come and kick your butt. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, so anyway, he was ordained at St. Francis Seminary right here in town in St. Francis, Wisconsin, you know, right there. I mean, in Milwaukee, certainly like a street away or something like that. And uh, so someone in his church, uh, so it was likely a parishioner from the Appleton Marathon area, had this long history of possession. Now, there's other books written about her and we don't know 
her actual name. I mean, okay. it may have been Mary, certainly in what Theophilus wrote about the case, that was the name he gave her. Anna Eklund is another name, and Emma Smith is yet another name given to her, but I think these are all pseudonyms. Okay. And so right now I can't find out the actual name. I'm still working on it, though. That's right. She's know. dead. So but it's not, it's not <laughs> we're going like, to look her is. up. Yeah, there's there's some sources that say that she was actually from Milwaukee, but I and and may, maybe she was originally, but uh, it's pretty clear that that she was probably one of his parishioners, so so more likely from the Appleton Marathon area. Okay, when, so I like the name was, Emma Smith. Let's use Emma Smith. So Emma Smith is all crazy up in Appleton, right? And the, Theophilus <laughs> and, has to and kick and some so spiritual. So this has butt. been going on for a long time, and in fact, um, there there are exorcisms that uh, Theophilus actually performed. In Milwaukee at the old St. Joseph's Church, uh, not church, sorry, old St. Joseph's Hospital, uh, there was one from 1926 that was performed in the chapel, and it may have been of this woman. Although, you know, when you're reading through multiple sources, sometimes you get conflicting reports. Right. Well, it's like trying to find the truth on the internet. Like, good luck. <sighs> yeah. And find, you know, finding the, the truth in old newspaper articles. Just you can't even hard. trust Snopes anymore. Like, Snopes has wrong information now, too. And really? when Snopes has wrong information, like, the world's right. all topsy-turvy. Like, I don't know what <laughs> oh, to no. do. Oh, no. What can we do? <laughs> Where um, are we supposed to go? <laughs> so, anyway, Theophilus wanted to do something for this woman who is described as very pious. She wanted to go to church, but, you know, she couldn't because of that aversion to religious artifacts. So she came to Theophilus, and um, he was able to take her to Earling, Iowa, and get permission there to do the exorcism. And it was a 23-day ordeal in 1928. Here's something interesting. that This connects to the new Exorcist yeah. TV show because they did have an exorcism at a nunnery. Yes. In the new TV mm-hmm. show. So I think, uh, first of all, uh, a nunnery in Iowa, in the middle of Iowa sounds like the most frigid place on the planet. <laughs> uh, I mean, second of all, like, I think that uh, you don't associate nuns with exorcism. You associate nuns with, uh, I don't know, making quince jelly. I, I don't know what nuns do most. Like, just, <laughs> they, have a more, they have a more quiet kind of life. And so you associate exorcism with priests and stuff. So the idea of going to this nunnery. You make me want some quince jelly, Mike. That's all I can <laughs> Who think doesn't about. Want a, an apple pear mix? Well, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> That's divine. I'm sorry, go on. You were saying, get thee to a nunnery? Right, get thee to a nunnery. And... Um, Get thee to an Iowa nunnery. That's uh, right. Well, I right, think he wanted gotta... to take her out of her element. He also wanted to have a more remote place because he knew this wasn't going to be, be an easy one. And so what happened in Erling, Iowa? So what happened when we took Emma Smith? What happened when we took her to Iowa? So he took her there and, you know, she's perfectly uh, lovely, you know, 40-ish, 40-year-old woman. Okay, so now I'm, I'm picturing her like that Susan chick that won American Idol. Or that was I mean, that for, that old woman that was singing the aria. You guys know who okay. I'm talking about. Your uh, your pop culture references sometimes elude well, me. I'm trying to. Well, <laughs> what we're, we're trying to do here is we're trying to make a an image for the viewer going to the nunnery. So Theophilus looking all badass, and he's he's trying to get the devil out of Susan Boyle. So this is what you have in your head now. We're creating a movie in our head. Okay, so Emma, she comes there, and you know the nuns. They're trying to be so sweet to her, bringing her food, but they bless the food before they give it to her. And then, see, this brings out Beelzebub. And she throws the food around and insults the nuns, you know, that I'm not going to eat this crap. Um, (sighs) And they actually had to bring her unblessed food because that's the only thing she would eat. But... And and not very much either. Um, It's said that she would only be given, like, 
tablespoons of water a day because of what happened. Now, she starts projectile vomiting, <laughs> which is where uh, the Vladdy Vladster got the whole pea soup thing. Oh, nice. Is from Emma Schmidt. Uh, yes, so she was the one with the big vomiting problem and just copious amounts. So that, Oof. oh, you want a movie in your head? This reminds me of, uh, oh, what's that one? It's, it's Wafer Thin. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. Yes, The big okay. guy in the thing, it's like, I, put, I can't eat no, no more. You know, it's like, so, it's way too thin. Remember, remember that big guy in the restaurant who, is, as he's eating, he's projectile vomiting, and there's this poor washerwoman. <laughs> yes. Who has to, like, scrub up after him, and he's, like, vomiting on her, and oh, man. So that's what it reminds me of, is oh, the situation with the nuns and Emma Smith. Um <laughs> that that she's puking incessantly, and um, so they they started to like just give her tablespoons of water each day, and then it just kept coming. It would not let up, and wow, okay. uh, yeah, for twenty three days, just constant Yuck. vomiting. Oh. And um, she Boy, also yeah, she also sucks. had this ability sucks. to uh, climb the walls like a cat, which reminds me of that more recent thing in Indiana with the kids who were walking up the wall. Remember that? Oh, yeah, the Devil House. The Devil House of Gary, Indiana. Right. And so, you know, the social workers and stuff saw them walking up the wall. Zach Baggins bought that house, bro. <laughs> he did, yeah. So she did similar things where she would scale the wall. And so she'd be, like, perched at the top of the door or something like that. You know, like a vampire that, up that's there. That's kind of like, I mean, that's awesome. But that reminds me of, I mean, there's a whole scene of the spider walk. That's actually, it wasn't in the nice. original exorcist right. film and it was only in the special edition that they released maybe 10 years ago and uh they do the spider walk in the new show too right and so the idea that you're you're moving around completely unnaturally and totally. like something that you would think was almost physically impossible that that's one of the signs of possession and with all these um you know beelzebubian shenanigans um you know they're trying to keep the exorcism going and they have to like pull her down from the ceiling to get get her to where they can continue the exorcism, so uh, very very dramatic things uh, were reported, and uh, there is another book about this that's called "Be Gone, Satan," and you can get it anywhere for free. So do not buy it from people. Um, just uh, <laughs> look at archive.org, and um, it's you know other accounts. Um, you know you can only get it certain libraries, but this one, "Be Gone, Satan," is everywhere. We have two exorcisms now that inspired the exorcist book. We've got Robbie Hunkahunkler and we've got uh, Emma Smith <laughs> yeah. and Theosophist Riesinger taking care of business in Earling, yeah. Iowa. Yeah, let me, let me mention and, one, one more, more thing about Emma that I okay. think is cool. I'm just saying we, we have to wrap up so we, we have a whole bunch of stuff to still talk about before we get to But one more thing about Emma. One more thing because it's a trope that's repeated so much in horror movies that um, okay. that when she was being exorcised, Father Theophilus said that under her skin, there was like a pea-sized thing that was moving underneath her skin, and he could track it as it moved around. And so to me, that I've, I'm sure you've seen that in a lot of horror movies. And That's just nasty. reading that in the account yeah. just sends shivers up my spine. <sighs> that, that's great. That's great. One of the articles that's been going around since William Peter Blatty passed away is from the mirror, and it says that 
William Peter Blatty was actually inspired by probably the most notorious exorcist of the 1990s, Father Malachi Martin, who used to be a, a, a frequent guest on Coast to Coast. Yes, Art Bell. Yeah, on, uh, yeah, and so he was Art Bell's favorite exorcist. And I always thought Father Malachi Martin was way too... And I, you know, I'm not a real sensitive guy, you know what I mean? But the kind of things that Father, I thought Father Malachi was just kind of a jerk. And I hated him. Even, and even though Allison, wow. I bought his book, Hosti- I bought his book, Hostage to the Devil, for your for Christmas one year. Yes, that was, that was a great uh, Christmas present. So Father Martin passed away a while ago. But the the latest article was that uh, William Peter Blatty was inspired by Father Malachi to uh, you know to write The Exorcist. And what's the truth on that? Well, that is nonsense because when when the uh, book came out, Blatty actually wrote. Uh, L.A. Times review, a scathing L.A. Times review of the book saying, I loathe this book. That's a quote. (laughs) I loathe this book. And he also went on to say it gives exorcism a bad name. So, yeah, uh, I think it's clear that the Bladdy Bladster was no fan of Malachi Martin. Right, and that he wasn't inspired by Father Martin at all. And there's a new Netflix documentary, Hostage to the Devil, that's out that you can watch on Netflix right now on Father Malachi Martin. And um, it's just, William, the, the Blatty Blaster was not a big fan of Father Malachi no. Martin. No matter what you read <laughs> on the internet, uh, people just picked it up because, number one, William Peter Blatty passed away, the author of The Exorcist. Number two, this movie just came out on Netflix. And mm-hmm. so it's that perfect storm of BS journalism coming together. <laughs> right. To write without any kind of actual research and shameless promotion, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I saw on the on one of the articles that claimed that the in in the Exorcist movie, the Max von Sado character was Father Marin was um, based on Father Malachi Martin, and and that's just not true. All right, well, myth busted. Yeah, right here on See You on the Other Side. Right, so take that with your grain of salt, everybody. Everything you read about that. And also, I want to say one last thing. If you guys have not seen The Exorcist 3, I made a joke about The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, being awful. <laughs> the Exorcist 3 is awesome. Ooh. So William Peter Blatty directed that. He wrote a book called Legion in 1983, taking some of the characters from the original Exorcist novel and continuing the story. Lieutenant Kinderman, the character that Lee J. Cobb plays in The Exorcist, uh, he was dead by the time that the, uh, the movie came out, uh, that The Exorcist 3 was made. So George C. Scott takes over his role, and he is brilliant in The Exorcist 3. And I don't want to tell you anything about it, because I just want you to watch it. So if you guys haven't seen The Exorcist 3, I heartily recommend it as a great horror movie, uh, even 27 years on. It's still a great movie. All right. So uh, William Peter Blatty, talented guy. Going back to what we were talking about before, the four signs of possession. If you're interested in hearing our episode about it, it's episode 105. So you can find that in your podcast player or at othersidepodcast.com slash 105. And uh, Allison, I want to thank you for all the research you've done into The Exorcist. You really, yes. you really wow. have it. I, I love being able to know more than the uh, and say like, hey, actually, if you want the real story, come to the podcast. And if you want real research, come to the podcast instead of the usual, like, we just took this from Wikipedia and here you go. The usual. Right. Well, my pleasure, Mike. I, I love uh, skulking around uh, old libraries. It's wonderful to have our own in-house expert here. The only fact we took from Wikipedia today uh, was about the quince jelly. (laughs) Speaking of which, anybody hungry? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I'm starving. How about some toast and uh, some quince jelly? (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. So thank you, William Peter Blatty. You gave us a lot of good scares. You had a good life. And, uh, you know, Godspeed to you, whatever the next journey may be. Uh, come back on a Ouija board sometime so we can say hi to uh, say hi to Blatty Blatster. Like if the next time on a wheel, it's like, what is the name of the spirit? And it's like, Blatty Blatster. Well, like, I you know, well, well, no. That would take a long time to spell out. <laughs> right, it would. And then you'd be like, what, is he just going to say his name twice? And then it's like, stir. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So to get some of the links to these articles we're talking about and to get the, like, to be gone Satan and everything, uh, you can find that othersidepodcast.com slash 128. For more information on Allison's research, go to milwaukeeghosts.com. You know, Captain Howdy slash Pazuzu likes to operate on people's basest instincts, Wendy. Ew, what a nasty buffet. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's what he likes to, but you know, <laughs> temptation and evil and giving into anger and giving yeah. into hatred. I mean, Pazuzu is kind of like the dark side of the force, right? And that's why he makes Reagan say such horrible things to the priests because that's the temptation. That's the the he's trying to bait them to get them to act on their emotions. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to connect a song this week that kind of a song that's about, uh, well, someone that we knew that always acted on his basest instincts that always yeah. gave into temptation uh, and kind of ruined the lives of everybody around him. <laughs> and this is a song about faith, biblical references. We talk about the Noah and the flood and it's about faith and the Bible. And um, well, it's about giving into that basest instinct and how that can ruin the life of people around you. And this one's called Crashing Down. <laughs>
you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Oh my God, Ned, you're the best for sending me the Bye Bye Man insert that was in the Wisconsin State Journal this week talking about, it connects the story to the, the Sun Prairie story that happened around here. So they did cover it in the local paper when. Oh, that's so cool. I've got to borrow that from you so I can yeah. check it out. It's pretty neat. So Ned. Well, thanks, Ned. Yes. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for being an awesome supporter and patron of See You on the Other Side. We love our patrons. And if you want to become a patron, you can do that. Where, Mike? At othersidepodcast.com slash donate. An apple pear mix? Well, that sounds wonderful.